As many of you know, uh, when I was uh, growing up, going through high school, I had a part-time job at a place called Foodland. Foodland was a dude land. And there was all kinds of characters that worked at this place. And one guy in particular, we called Problem Child. His name was Ryan, but we called him Problem Child because this guy was a major problem. He was constantly doing crazy things. I have so many stories, I'm only gonna tell you one. But Problem Child uh, had a real mentorship kind of relationship with another guy who started working at Foodland, a younger guy. Uh, and uh, his, name was, uh, his name was Steven, but we called him Slim Jim. So Problem Child was mentoring Slim Jim in the ways of Problem Child. And uh, he was just constantly doing ridiculous things. One day, um, there was uh, a whole box of Vortman ginger snap cookies that had somehow got uh, a case cutter taken to the side of them, inexplicably, of course. We don't know how this happened. And they ended up in the back room where the stock boys were eating these ginger snap cookies. And Problem Child went back there and he made a discovery. And the discovery that he made was that if you hold a Vortman ginger snap cookie in your hand just the right way, on the right angle, you can throw that thing about 30 meters. And so he was out behind Foodland aiming at this huge inflatable, you know, for sale, uh, you know, sales uh, display at Shoppers Drug Mart, throwing these ginger snap Vortman cookies like ninja throwing stars uh, 30 meters across the, across the parking lot and Slim Jim decided to join him. Well, needless to say, they got caught, they got in huge uh, trouble, and uh, shortly after that, sadly and predictably, Problem Child was let go from Foodland. Now, when we come to the book of Proverbs, which is littered, peppered with conversations around wisdom and foolishness, the wise and the fools, we often think of the fools like a problem child, just continually doing, you know, unintelligent or, or, or silly things. But the essence of... Uh, Wisdom is that uh, we love God, we love the ways of God, and the essence of foolishness is that we come to conclusions about the way in which life should run that are contrary to the ways of God, contrary to the views of God. So when you fast forward into adulthood, what do we look like when we walk in the ways uh, of problem child, and we are our own problem child uh, in our own respects, it, it, it can play out in detrimental ways in our relationships, or in marriage, or with work, um, or uh, on campus, uh, as we begin to engage with people and with life in, in a manner that is contrary to the wisdom and the ways of God. Our text for this morning is Proverbs 13, where we are challenged to consider who has the most formative voices in our life. Who are those who um, we are walking with um, whose voices have the most formative effect? Proverbs chapter 13, verses 20 and 21. Whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. Disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. This is God's word. Now, this is an easy text to read, uh, so let's pray this morning that the Spirit, uh, through the word, would read us. And so we're going to steep in this a little bit. We talked about steeping last Sunday give you another good food analogy this morning for how we're going to tackle these two verses. We're going to attack these uh, two verses the way that a chef deconstructs food. You know, when chef, this is like the new trend now, the deconstructing of food. And when a chef deconstructs food, they, they dismantle the, the dish down to its component parts so that the essence of the meal can be very, very clearly seen. So let's deconstruct these two verses like we're deconstructing an omelet. Let's see what's in here. The first question we want to ask is, what does it 
look like to walk with the wise? And then the next question we want to ask is, what does it look like to be the companion of fools? And then finally, we're going to ask, how does this text invite us to marvel at Christ? And how can we apply this text to go out as ministers of the grace of Christ? So firstly, <clears throat> what does it look like to walk with the wise? Well, to walk in the Hebrew is hauchlet, which is this figure of speech meaning to go from strength to strength. And so uh, walking is a strong theme all throughout the scripture uh, because discipleship, properly understood, is not about sitting and listening. It begins with sitting and listening, always ends in walking. Uh, doesn't even uh, uh, remain at the place of sitting and listening and learning because in, in you know, the ancient understanding of discipleship, which of course then translated into how Jesus walked with discipleship, it moved from the sitting and the learning to this walking. So as we consider this, we, we think about um, the implications of it. In Hebrew education, the first level was memorization and teaching. And then the higher levels of learning were the application. And so there was an apprenticeship component to it. So in the same way that um, a mechanic has an apprenticeship, you know, you, there's a big difference between having somebody work on your car who's watched a YouTube video on how to take an engine out and going to a mechanic who has been in the industry for 20 years and can take an engine apart with their eyes closed. And so in the Hebrew understanding of walking with somebody, there is this, uh, this active sort of apprenticeship, this relationship that is dynamic. In the Mishnah, which is a collection of rabbinic thought from about 200 BC to 200 AD, there's these uh, rabbis contributed to uh, their interpretation of not only uh, the scripture, but in how to walk it out. And one of uh, the rabbis that contributed to this, Ben Yoezer, um, he uh, made, a, made a statement in uh, the first chapter, verse four of the Mishnah, which uh, talks about being covered in the dust of your rabbi. And to be covered in the dust of your rabbi means that you're, you're following this person, you're walking with the wise, uh, you have relationships with people, and, and you're in such close proximity, the dust is getting on you. You're, there's a desire for the imitation of the wisdom that you're seeing for that to get on you. Of course, the ultimate um, picture of this is how that is how we're to follow Jesus, ultimately, that we're to follow Jesus so closely that we're, we're quote-unquote covered in this dust. But again, if we leave it at that, that's very abstract. Follow Jesus closely. So this is very concrete, and it's calling us to be in relationship with people in such a way um, that we can <clears throat> become wise. If we were to um, define discipleship to an ancient Hebrew, if they could you know, ha have a back-to-the-future moment and get in a, in a 1980s DeLorean and get that thing up to 88 miles an hour and come visit us, and we were to explain to them what discipleship looked like to an ancient Hebrew or a first-century Messianic Jew, and we said, well, we go to uh, Bible studies, and uh, we sit around and we read the scriptures and we talk about them and we discuss them. What they, what they would say is, That's, that is a really, really excellent place to begin. Uh, what they would not say is, oh, that's discipleship. You have discipleship because you're meeting and talking about the scriptures. What they would do is they would say, that's a good start. That's where our kids start. And then they would start to ask us really uncomfortable questions about community. And they'd ask us about like our friends at church and, and how we kind of have coffee with one another and kind of go through life in the city together and how we're, you know, uh, maybe raising kids together and if we're, if we're single people, how uh, we're very excited about the opportunity for ministry that singleness provides and how you as a single woman or a single man are 
just kind of loving and caring the teenagers or the young kids around the church because you and community are kind of walking through life with them. And that they would start having, that's how they would understand discipleship. They wouldn't just say, good on you, you've, you had a Bible study. So for us as modern, particularly in an individualistic culture, this is an uncomfortable way to think about becoming wise. We're much more comfortable with the book smart, <laughs> I'll stay in uh, my comfort zone way of becoming wise. But when you think about um, uh, the, what, what it's getting at, it's talking about this walking in meaningful connection with people who love God and know the ways of God and are actively seeking to apply the wisdom of God. If you think about how Jesus made disciples, how did Jesus make use of this text you and I are looking at? He did not make disciples simply by teaching on the hillside outside the city. He made disciples by walking with them through the city going through challenging conversations in the city, walking them through controversial um, uh, moments in the city. Uh, he was um, constantly you know, walking his, discipleship, his disciples through hardships as difficult times arose. And so if we were to this morning say, you know, church, we read Proverbs and let's follow the word of God, that's very abstract. But to say, I'm going to follow Jesus, now that becomes more concrete. And I'm going to have people in my life in meaningful relationship who love Jesus and who are also trying to imitate Jesus. All of a sudden, that becomes very concrete. So why does God's word connect uh, wisdom to community? And why, does, why do we not read through the Proverbs or the, or the pastoral letters and find that wisdom is something you can garner independently? So consider this for a second. When God manifests his wisdom so we could see it uh, as it was walked out in plain sight, we see that it is the perfectly loving and wise life of Jesus, which means that in the mind of God, the wisest course of action in any given situation is also the most loving course of action in any given situation. Every wise act that Jesus did was loving, and every loving thing that Jesus did was also wise. So therefore... Becoming a wise person means that at the same time we are becoming a loving person. Then we need a faith community because it's impossible to become, become loving independently. And so let's let this phrase, walking with the wise, let's let it read us as we ask ourselves just a very practical question. How do we see um, the Redeemer community? Do we see this community as a gift of God to, to sharpen us and challenge us, enrich us? Um, to expose through the simple power of friendship how selfishness still works in us? Or is our church community kind of like a take it or leave it? I could take it or leave it. You know, hey, we haven't really been gathered together for six months in this pandemic. I could take, or, take it or leave it, the church. If it's online forever in the future and I just got to uh, listen to a podcast, I'm fine with that. What is our attitude toward the church community? How do we understand it? Because we're not going to find any Proverbs uh, or teaching in the pastoral letters that says those who have no use for community can garner wisdom and autonomy. You don't find anything that sounds like that at all. And maybe you've been at Redeemer for a while. And even as I'm saying this, you're really uncomfortable because you're like, oh my goodness, I'm looking through these screen, these little video screens. And I'm thinking to myself, as I look at each individual family, oh, how do I walk with the wise? Because I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter than you. I think I'm smarter than you. I'm smarter than, you. I'm smarter than the preacher. You know, that could all be true. Maybe you are the smartest person in the room. Maybe you are disillusioned on how smart you think you are. But, it, but either way, 
whether it's true you're the smartest person in the room or not, as we look at the Proverbs, read all 31 chapters, and we're going to find that the criteria for wisdom is not that you are an intellectual or theological giant. If that were true, the way Jesus talked to the Pharisees, who were theological, intellectual giants, he would have said, good on you, chaps, carry on. But Jesus did not talk that way to the Pharisees because according to the Proverbs, to be wise is to love God genuinely. It is to know his word and aim to apply it happily. It is to be humble and willing to repent, willing to make change, when God's word contradicts us and when we fail miserably. This is what it looks like to be wise. So consider this, Solomon, the author of this text, he did not have a pristine track record of wisdom. He did not have a pristine track record of wise choices. He had a tainted track record littered with foolishness, littered with failure. And none of us at Redeemer have a pristine track record of wisdom. We all have tainted track records littered with foolishness and failure. And you can learn a lot from a person who has been humbled by failure and raised up by God's grace. And so when we consider this, consider the wisdom that there is to offer to one another as we walk in in relationship with each other. What pain have we been through? What rewards for integrity or faithfulness have we had? What decisions have you made in faith? What decisions have you made crippled by fear? What uh, ways have you engaged in, in relationships motivated by love? In what ways have you engaged in relationships motivated by selfishness? Which relationships have you salvaged through humility? Which relationships have you lost through pride? How have we operated in our vocations in integrity and the challenges that have come with that? What is it like to raise children today in a culture uh, that seems so diametrically opposed to the ways of God and in some respects hostile to the ways of God? How have we struggled with idolatry? How have we overcome it? Think of all of these things that we have all walked through and the, the benefit, the blessing of wisdom that they can be to one another in community as we endeavor to love God and love his ways and walk in his ways. So where do we begin with all this? Where do we begin in the sharing and the receiving of this wisdom? Not in offering a masterclass, in being a friend, in caring and loving for one another, valuing friendship, valuing the community, walking in relationship in the community. Whoever walks with the wise will become wise. So what what does it look like to become the companion of fools? So let's move on to the next portion of that statement. Maybe a good way to think about... um, what it means is to begin by what it, begin with what it doesn't mean, and that's that it, to be a companion of fools, it can't mean that we're being discouraged from caring and meaningful relationships with those who don't know God or know the ways of God or love God. It can't mean that because Jesus was constantly caring and having meaningful relationship with people who did not know God, did not know the ways of God, did not love God. Jesus was actually accused of being a drunkard and accused of being a sinner because he was constantly and regularly in community with people who didn't know or love God. So <clears throat> it, it can't mean that. Interestingly, this word companion in the Hebrew, uh, the weroa, it is this root word for grazing. It comes from the root word for grazing, for going to pasture. In English, companion 
ship, it always means the context of being around people. In the Hebrew, it means in the context of being around people in companionship and interestingly, grazing. And so as you read this proverb, it's, it's saying to us, don't graze where the fools graze. Later in Proverbs, you're going to find this word used again. It says, don't graze where the gluttons graze. And in Ezekiel chapter 37, I'm going to read a verse that talks about uh, this companionship and this grazing in a, in a very interesting way, different way. It's the same word, and I'm going to read it for you like this. It tells us to graze where the shepherd is. It says, then they, then they will be my people and I will be their God, and there will, and there will be one shepherd for all of them. There will be one companion for all of them. There will be one reroa for all of them. There will be one place of grazing for all of them. So this warning to not be the companion of fools, it calls us to examine if we are grazing where the fools are grazing, if we are unwittingly having our children graze where the fools graze. And remember, the fool is not an unintelligent person. Uh, The fool is not an uneducated person. The fool is the person who has no regard for the ways of God. So are we ideologically grazing where they're grazing and concluding what they're concluding? Are we allowing the culture to hand us our ethics or our children our ethics and coming to the same conclusions that they are coming to? When a person of political or social, financial, cultural prominence asserts views that contradicts God's views, do we just unwittingly say, I'll have what they're having? That's what it means to be the companion of fools, to graze where they're grazing. Verse, uh, sorry, before I move on, I want to quickly say this, and that's that um, this is not a license to have a self-righteous, harmful, uh, unloving, arrogant stance against the culture. This is a call to not be discipled by the culture. And verse 21 goes on to say, disaster pursues sinners, but the righteous are rewarded with good. And I want you to notice that disaster is actually personified here in the, in the text. Disaster is not this possible result that's out there. Disaster is active. It's pursuing. It's hunting the fool down. It's not out there. It's coming here. This reminds us that underneath all brokenness, underneath all suffering, underneath the endless catalog of hurt and evil that we humans keep inflicting on each other, there is an enemy. This disaster is personified. There is an enemy, right? In the Hebrew, this, the Satan, the Satan, right? The adversary. This is the uh, one who is inspiring every darkness in humanity beneath everything that is wrong with the world. And now I want you to notice that it's not just the fools that are being pursued. The righteous are also being pursued. The fools are being pursued by disaster. The righteous are being pursued with good. It says the righteous are being rewarded with good. Some Hebrew scholars have actually translated this line. um, The prosperity overtakes the righteous. So notice here, let's just steep in this for a second. Two contrasting images of you and I being pursued. You can either be pursued by disaster or you can be pursued by prosperity. One of those two things is chasing us down. And if we just do a quick read of this verse and we chop it up and stick it on our fridge and move on with our life and we don't really sit in it, it sounds like Christian karma. It just sounds like, well, if you walk in the ways of God, things end in prosperity. If you don't walk in the ways of God, things end in disaster. There you go. Then you look out your window and you go, well, I seem to find contradictions everywhere because there's people who love God and they're sick and there's in their bodies and there's people who uh, could care less about God and their body is like a science textbook. They're like a picture of health. So what gives? There's other people who 
love God, they're passed over for promotion. The person who has no integrity or maybe is unscrupulous in the work, workplace, they get the promotion. What gives? You can look at this text and look out the window and seem like we're just living in this contradiction. There's a few things we need to understand that Proverbs are precepts that guide our lives. Meaning, here in the day-to-day, if you live your life according to the Word of God, in a general sense, things are going to go well with you relationally and vocationally and in life because you're walking according to the wisdom of God. That's kind of a temporal sense of it. But a proverb is not a promise. It's a proverb. It is, in its essence, a precept. It's not a promise that right here, right now in 2020, your life is going to be a picture of prosperity. We need to understand that the scriptures are not given to us through our modern geographical lens. These scriptures are coming to us through an eternal lens. And so we want to understand prosperity and disaster, not just in the temporal sense of what could happen in our life if we live like problem child, but in an eternal sense. What is eternal prosperity? What is eternal disaster? If you're only on the planet for you know 70 to 90 years, what's after that? The scriptures are provoking us to, to consider uh, the prosperity and disaster in these, in these ways. And here's you know, what I would encourage you to consider, that if you are a person who trusts in God and you love God and you've united yourself to Christ, then the brokenness of this world is the closest thing to hell you're ever going to see. And for those who reject Christ, who have no use for God, who have no use for the ways of God, then in the end, they'll get exactly what they want, which is an eternity apart from God, and which means the brokenness of this world is the closest thing to heaven that they're ever going to see. And so as we consider these things, this specific scripture is encouraging us to walk with the wise so we don't bring disaster into our, in our life by grazing where the fools graze and making foolish decisions. That's what this specific text, text is getting at. But the broader text as you read throughout all of Proverbs, as you read throughout all of Scripture, you find that even if disaster gets brought into your life, uh, not because of some foolish thing inside you, but because of the brokenness outside you, then God offers his perfect grace, his grace that is perfect in weakness, to strengthen you and carry you through whatever it is that life throws at you. So let's move on to um, the final thing this morning, which is to ask how this text invites us to marvel at Christ. How can we apply this text to go out as ministers of Christ? So if I was to stop the sermon right now, it would be very good in terms of instruction and, and meditation and considering our life in very practical, tangible, relational ways. But where's the good news? Here's the good news, church. Look at verse 21. Verse 21 says, without apology, very clearly, very uncomfortably, it says that, Disaster pursues sinners. And all of us are sinners. And the good news is, Jesus is a friend of sinners. The cross is a statement that says, we are the sinners that deserve disaster. But God, who is rich in mercy and in his great grace, in Christ, has, through the cross, offered to rescue us from ultimate and final eternal disaster. Verse 21 also says that the righteous are rewarded with good. Jesus Christ is the only one who is righteous. Jesus Christ is the only one who's good by God's standard. And so united to him, we are declared righteous. United to him, we will in the end be rewarded with good because we are united to the only one who is ever good. 
The good news of the gospel, Jesus Christ lived the perfectly loving and wise life that you and I ought to be living, but we're not. And he died the atoning death, paying the price for our sin so that he received everything that we deserve so that in the end, we will receive everything that he deserves. And he rose again on the third day, proving that he was God, proving that his claims were true and assuring us that at the cross, God has provided for you everything that his law requires from you. And so here is how we live this out as ministers from the joy and the freedom of this scandalous grace. When Jesus Christ, the risen Christ, commissioned his church, he did call us to isolate and withdraw in a community with sort of a self-righteous stance of judgment against the greater community. In fact, Jesus Christ in the Great Commission, he called us to gather around him to find rest and renewal in worship right here in this Redeemer community. He called us then through his word to walk with the wise in this community. Those who love God and love his ways and genuinely want to apply his ways in this community. And then so that we can then therefore go out and in a very practical, tangible sense, be people of wisdom and love and be a blessing to the greater KW community. That we will be people who give dignity and respect to the poor and the marginalized and the refugee, those who are repressed, those who are denied dignity, those who are denied respect, we will be agents of that kind of healing and blessing in the city. That we will treat every person, that we go out from here as imitators of Jesus to treat people from every class, from every culture, from every creed with love. Because regardless of who they are, they are image bearers of God. That we then, we go to work, we go to our places of business and we conduct it and we conduct our business with integrity. That we are people of generosity and humility, confident ministers of the gospel. The righteous are rewarded with good and good news church. By grace and faith alone, united to Jesus Christ, you and I are united to the one who is righteous and good. May we glorify him and enjoy him forever. Let's pray.